Yes, it's going to be a great week. If you have a Bible, please open up to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 and 11 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. The words will appear on the screen. We've been in this series entitled The Acts of the Holy Spirit, and we come now to the close of this series, and I think it's very appropriate for us to be closing this series in Acts 10 and 11, uh, especially with our Global Missions Conference next week and then also Ash Wednesday, the week following that, um, because this moment in the book of Acts uh, is a critical moment in the life of the church. It's very crucial. Uh, it, it, in fact, I mean, where the church goes from here and the decisions that they make in Acts 10 and 11 really sets the trajectory of the church forever. That's how important it is, and we cannot overstate that. And the topic I want to talk about today is that the Holy Spirit is given to all people, to all people. And what I mean by that is that everyone who submits themselves to Jesus Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who will believe this good news that we have receives the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers them in powerful ways in all people, in all times, in all places. There is no context that is contrary to the work of the Spirit. Sometimes we think there is. Sometimes we, we, we think that my spiritual life is kind of over here and it's something I do on Sunday morning or maybe a Wednesday night or maybe when my small group meets and, and then I go into the business world or then I go into the work world or whatever it may be. Now the Holy Spirit empowers believers for every aspect of life, every aspect of life. And all of us who will believe in Jesus Christ can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be empowered by him. And what we see take place in Acts chapter 10 is absolutely important and fundamental for us as believers. I want to read the first five verses to give you some context for what is going on in the characters who are a part of this part of the book of Acts. And so let's pick it up in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, very important character in the life of the early church, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror, as would I. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. But the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. So right here we see something very important taking place. Let me make a few points about Cornelius. Cornelius, as I said, is a very important man in the life of the early church. And Cornelius teaches us some very important things uh, about who we are in relation to God. One of the things about Cornelius that stands out is that Cornelius had a desire to live a consecrated life to God. That desire is very much in his life. He was a captain in the Roman army. You think about all the military success that he had, all the military success that he could have just received from Roman citizens and the glory he could have got for that. His identity could have been wrapped up in just that, being a captain in the Roman army and again, all the success that comes along with that and yet, scripture says that he is devout. He prayed and he gave to the poor. He prayed and he gave to the poor. 
And in doing so, in praying to this Jewish God, and in giving to the poor, this means that Cornelius had rejected the Roman gods. This is not a popular thing to do, by the way, in the first century. They're, they're just a few days away from this story where Christians are going to be killed for denying that Caesar is God, or is Lord. And Cornelius comes to this moment with all this military status that he has, and yet he is devout to God, he is praying to God, he's giving to the poor. And in this moment, Cornelius teaches us that in life we have to decide, do we want to be consecrated unto the Lord or do we want to be celebrated by people? Because this choice that he is making is not a popular one. This choice to, uh, to be a person of prayer, be identified as a God-fearing Gentile, and give to the poor, most of the poor that he was giving to were Jews. That's why he's respected by them. We'll see that later. He made this choice. Do I want to be consecrated to God or do I want to be celebrated by people? And all the celebration that he could have received from being a captain in the Roman army, he said no. He said no. But, but, God is stirring Cornelius here. God is doing something in his heart. He is stirring him and drawing him in closer. You see, because while Cornelius was devout, and he was, he prayed and he gave to the poor, Cornelius was not fully committed. He, he was called, what, he's what is called a proselyte at the gate, not a proselyte of righteousness. A proselyte of righteousness is when a Gentile fully converts to Judaism, beginning with circumcision, and then he has full access into the temple. But Cornelius was a proselyte at the gate, meaning he could not fully enter in. He was in the category of a Gentile who was a devout, he was devout, God-fearer. That's who he was. But he was not fully committed at this moment. And what he was doing, if you will, Cornelius was living out of the limited revelation that he had of who God is at this point in his life. And just like us, we have to, well, we can experience times of growth in our life. We can experience times of closeness to God or times of manifestation where God is moving around us. But if we just stop there, then we too end up just living out of a limited revelation of who God is. And this is where Cornelius is at. If you want to summarize his life, look at him, he prays and he gives to the poor. He's living out of a limited understanding of the great commandment. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's compartmentalized to prayer and giving. But this is where he's at. But in Acts 10, something happens. While he may be living out of a limited revelation of who God is, in Acts 10, what we see is that God wants to reveal more of himself to Cornelius, and God wants to reveal more of himself through Cornelius to the church, namely Peter. Namely Peter. And this gets to point number one. Point number one this morning, if you want to take notes, is simply this. It is that God is passionately pursuing all people. God is passionately pursuing all people. If, if someone is alive and they are breathing today, God is after them. God is chasing them. God is pursuing them. And this is so important for us to understand. You see, in many ways, our first conversion in life is to accept the love that God has for us as individuals. But the second conversion is needed, and that's what we're going to see play out in Peter's heart in this story. The second conversion is not only do we receive the love of God for us, but our second conversion is when we reveal the love of God to others. Or if you can put it this way, the first conversion that we have is when we accept God's love for ourselves, and the second conversion that we have is when we begin to love who God loves. And God always loves the last, the least, and the lost, right? And both of these conversions, if you will, are needed. Both. 
Yes, we have to live in that place where we understand that God radically loves me and he's been pursuing me and he's been chasing me and I've accepted that love. We have to let God love us, yes. But then the second thing we have to do is to realize that God wants to love others through us, through us. And when a church begins to understand both of these things, that I am radically loved by God and then God wants to radically love others through me, when, when we understand both of those things, both sides of the coin, that's when God begins to revive his church. That's when you start to see revival take place. When God begins to stir in our hearts so that we are captivated by the love that he has for us, but we're also, also captivated by this vision of reaching out to the nations and even our neighbors around us. That's why Peter would later write in 2 Peter 3, 9, who says, oh, God's not slow. He's actually very patient with us. He's patient and kind. He's not willing that anyone should perish but everyone come to repentance. Peter got to that place where he absolutely believed that God wanted everyone to come into a relationship with him because of what happens here in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. And when God begins to stir in his church, we see these two signs, these two things happen. If you look back in history, you look at people like Charles Finney. Charles Finney lived from 1792 to 1875. And God used Charles Finney in powerful ways in the second great awakening in America, when God's spirit was just poured out and just moving throughout our land. And Finney gave a lecture years later on revival. And he says that there are seven, seven ways, seven signs you know that the church needs to be revived, that the church needs to experience revival. I'm gonna give them to you. Let's see if we're a good candidate for revival. Are you ready? Number one, he says, the church needs revival when there is a want of brotherly love and Christian confidence among those who profess Christ. Number two, he said, there's a need for revival when there are dissensions, jealousies, and evil speaking in the church. Number three, he says, we need revival when there is a worldly spirit in the church. He says, we need revival when, number four, the church finds its members falling into gross and scandalous sins. Number five, he says, we need revival when there is a spirit of controversy in the church. Number six, we need revival when the wicked triumph over the church. And number seven, Finney's language, not mine, we need revival when sinners are careless and stupid and sinking into hell unconcerned. I think... We're primed for revival. I think we are. And it happens when God is stirring our hearts and bringing us to this place where we are captivated by the radical love that God has for us, but then we see that that love, God wants to flow that love through us to other people. And there are many sons and daughters, spiritual sons and daughters in the faith that have been in the church for many years who have stunted their own growth their own growth because they refuse to love who God loves. Therefore, they have refused to become spiritual mothers and fathers. You see, you don't become a mother or father until you reproduce yourself. So, so many times we stay as spiritual children because we want to receive the love of God for ourselves, but we don't want to give it away to anybody else. When Jesus was looking at Jerusalem, He's headed to the cross. He looks at Jerusalem as lost as it was, as crooked as it was. He didn't look at them and belittle them. He didn't criticize them. He looked at Jerusalem and he wept. He cried. It broke his heart for all the people who did not truly know his father and did not know who he was. And the question is, does the same thing happen for us? 
Or do we just look at the world, we look at the city, we look at the region, we look at people around us, or even people who go to different worship services than we do, and we just feel disdain toward them? Or does our heart break? You see, you become a spiritual mother and father when your heart can break for what God's heart breaks for. That's when you're seeing maturity. That's when you're seeing growth in your life. But so many times we're just, we're fine with just remaining children, receiving God's love if we can just one day, maybe one day go to heaven. And God says, I want so much more for you. And I have so much more for you. And becoming a spiritual mother and father, we have to get to that place where our hearts break for what God's heart breaks for. We see people, we see them. Even though they don't love God, God radically loves them. Even though they may not want anything to do with God, they may be against God, God is for them. And when we get to that place, we have to understand that God is passionately pursuing all people. And when we get there receiving it and we see that God is pursuing others, that's when God revives his church. So that's the first point, and that's what God begins to do here. God begins to move in Cornelius' life and prepare him, and God is moving in Peter's life, preparing him for this moment. Let's continue and read. You see the angel shows up to Cornelius, says, your prayers and gifts uh, to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, who lives near the seashore. Verse 7, as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and he sent them off to Joppa. He immediately obeys. He says, you go to Joppa, we're looking for Simon Peter, he's staying with Simon the Tanner. All right, so while that's going on, verse nine takes place. It says the next day, Cornelius, Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town. Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon, he was hungry. I get hungry at noon too, good for him. It says, but while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. You say, what does that mean? I'm not sure, but he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> I love Peter's reply. No, Lord. No, Lord. Peter has a habit of saying no, doesn't he? If you've ever said no to the Lord, you're in good company because Peter said no all the time. I really think that Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father at this moment saying, Dad, don't worry, he did it to me all the time. He says no all the time. Okay. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Peter needed to hear this or see this three times, and he's still perplexed. Happened three times, then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. Verse 17, Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius uh, found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. So meanwhile, Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, listen, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, don't worry, for I have sent them. It's like, Peter, I know you like saying no to things like this. Don't worry, it's fine. I'm the one that sent them, the Holy Spirit said. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you're looking for. Why have you come? Why have you come? Then they said, we are sent by Cornelius a Roman officer. He is devout, God-fearing man, 
well respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay the night. The next day, he went with them, accompanied by some brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. So I want you to get the picture. In Cornelius' house, probably a big one, he's got relatives, he's got close friends there. Here come the men bringing Peter and some other brothers with him. It says, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. All right, so right here we know Cornelius' theology is not all there, right? It's like, you know, I pray to God, but now I'm worshiping this guy named Peter. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Now watch this. Many others were assembled there. They're Gentiles. Peter, according to the law, is not supposed to go into a Gentile house. But watch, watch. I love Peter. He is a mess. They walk in, verse 28. Peter walks in. He sees all these people there, and it says, Peter told them, uh, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. <laughs> Peter, Peter looks at them all, and he says, you know I'm not supposed to be here, right? Right. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for now tell me why you sent for me. <laughs> Peter walks in, house full of Gentiles, all right? He walks in and he goes, uh, I'm not supposed to be here, but God told me to be here. Why am I here? <laughs> what am I doing here? What is going on? See, God is passionately pursuing all people. Point number two is that God's passionate pursuit creates a divine hunger and God uses us to feed hungry people. Peter walks into this house full of Gentiles and God has been stirring their hearts for this moment. And God has sent Peter to the house for this moment to feed them. Peter walks in and says, I know I'm not supposed to be here, but for some reason God told me to be here. Why am I here? And here's how Cornelius responds, verse 30. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. We know it was an angel. He told me, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. That's you. That's why you're here. He is staying at the home of Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. And Peter's like, yeah, that, that was me, all right. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Glad you showed up at a Gentile home. Now, we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. You see, God had been stirring divine hunger in Cornelius, his family, and his friends, and God has sent now Peter to feed them, to feed them. They're hungry. They want the message. Now, listen, not everybody who's around you is hungry. Not everybody who's around you is receptive right now to the message. Some people have confused minds, hardened hearts, or rebellious addictions, meaning they love their sin more than God. So not everybody around you right now is hungry for the message of Christ, but some are. 
And if they're not hungry right now, they will be. They will be. God is passionately pursuing all people. And as he pursues all people, he creates a divine hunger, a divine thirst in people. In people. And all of a sudden, they start asking questions. In this moment, Cornelius, his house, his friends, that's where they are. They're hungry, and they want to be fed spiritual food. The question is, how do you feed them? Point number three is this, is that we feed hungry people by retelling the story. We retell the story of Jesus, and God is the one who sends the power. We retell the story, God sends the power. This is exactly what's about to take place right here. Peter shows up, house full of Gentiles, not supposed to be here, God told me to be here, why am I here? Cornelius said, here's what happened to me, and now we're waiting before the Lord for the message that you have. And Peter goes, oh Lord, can I do a quick Google search for a message of encouraging verses for people? Notice what Peter does. Verse 34, then Peter replied, uh, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. I'm standing in a Gentile home. In every nation, every nation, that word is ethnos, there's ethnic, there's no such thing as a nation in the first century, they had empires, not nations. Every ethnic group, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. So he says, here, this is the message of the good news for the people of Israel. That was his context, that's what he had been giving it to, the people of Israel, right? So, well, you wanna know the message, here's the message of the good news. He says that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all kind of looks at him. He's like, okay, this is going well. I'll keep going. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching the message about his baptism? They're like, yeah, we know. And you know that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power? Yeah, yeah. Then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God is with him. Wow. And we apostles, we are witnesses of all that he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death, hanging him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, but not to the general public, but to those of us whom God has chosen in advance to be witnesses. He's not even given an exhaustive account. He's just speeding through this thing. But he's just simply retelling the story of what happened to Jesus. He says, we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he, he ordered us to preach everywhere. And Peter's going, yep, everywhere everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of all the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone, and Peter's realizing, everyone, everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. In that moment, Peter just starts retelling the story again. He's not even given an exhaustive account. He's just running through the story, retelling the story of Jesus. You do know if you know the story of Jesus, you're fully equipped to give the message to others. You just got to know what Jesus did. That's all Peter's talking about. This is what Jesus did. He's running through it quickly. And then God does something. Look at verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, Peter's not even done yet. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. We retell the message. God sends the power. Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. I know that makes you nervous. We'll keep moving. Okay. Then Peter asked, 
Can anyone object to them being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, Cornelius said, this has worked out. Can you hang around for a little while? He stayed with them several days. You see, God is passionately pursuing all people. And what he does is he creates a divine hunger in people and he uses us to feed people. And we feed them by simply retelling the story and that's when God sends the power. So many times we think we have to generate the power. It's not our power. It's God's power. Our job is to say it. He's the one who saves. Our job is simply tell people about who this Jesus is and what he can do and what he has done in human history. And God's the one that does the convicting and bringing people to Christ. And right here, now Gentiles have come into the church. And then verse 11 happens, or chapter 11 happens. And I wish I did not have to give you point number four. I don't even like point number four. And I wrote it. But it's true. And point number four is that there will always be opposition when God moves in a way that makes us uncomfortable. When God moves in a way that makes us uncomfortable, there are going to be people who do not like it. Chapter 11, verse 1. Soon the news. <laughs> uh, is it good news or bad news? Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers, his brothers and sisters in Christ, did what? Criticized him. You don't know what true religion is, Peter. You don't know what real religion is, Peter. Did you really, really go into the home of a Gentile? You even ate with them? Like food? sounds silly to us but don't we do the same so many times then Peter told them exactly what happened he just says here's what happened I saw a vision God told me to go God spoke to Cornelius told him to send for me I went there they were there and then pick it up in verse 15 Acts eleven fifteen. Peter says as I began to speak Peter said guys listen you gotta understand I was just getting started I was just getting warmed up. And as I, was, as I began to speak, I'm just, just telling him about Jesus. He says, as I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them. He said, what my fault? I was just telling him about Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on them. Some of you are like, I wonder what that looked like. I don't know, but it raised some eyebrows. Just as he fell on us at the beginning, it was just like that. And then I thought about the Lord's words when he said, you know, John will baptize you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he was given us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? He just said, this is what happened, guys. I was there. I was just telling the story. The Holy Spirit fell. They gave their lives to Christ fully and completely in that moment. I don't know. And right here, the church is at a crossroads. What does it do with this? What does it do? So many times, so many times, we come to this place where we think that there is a group out there. It's them. It's they. Whatever they are. Whoever they are. 
whatever culture they are, and say, God can't reach them. And right here, the church is at this crossroads. Who are they going to be for the rest of their existence? Right here. And notice what happens in verse 18. Even though they were criticizing and objecting, it says, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting. They stopped. And they began praising God. In this moment, they realized this is the work of God. This is God's doing. And they say yes, and they embrace what God is doing. And the evidence of what God was doing was not religious food, kosher laws. It was not religious dress. Jews and Gentiles dressed very differently. It was not a religious ceremony like circumcision or whatever it may be. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that fell upon them when they were hearing the message of Jesus. And it changed everything. It changed everything. And they said, we're not going to object anymore. Instead, we're going to praise. We're going to praise. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. God has done it. God is passionately pursuing all people. All people. He's creating divine hunger in people. And he's sending you and he's sending me to feed them. We just feed them by telling them about Jesus. We let God do the rest. Our job is to sow the seed. We let God send the power. And when God begins to move and people begin to come to him, yes, there are some, even in the church, that aren't going to like it. Whoop-de-doo. Doesn't matter. But my prayer is that we would make the same decision the early church made. And instead of objecting, we would be praising. Because God is still in the saving business. And Christians, listen Christians, we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful that as people are hearing the message about Christ and as the Spirit is moving in their life, that we are not the one creating or being the barrier for people to come to Christ. That's my prayer, that we would not be a barrier, that you would not be a barrier, that your witness would be pure and authentic and full of wisdom, and that you would accurately represent Christ to those around you as you retell the story and as the Spirit moves May we not be the barrier. And that's my prayer for us. That as you live this week, you, a flesh and blood person around other flesh and blood people, as you walk around breathing and living and encountering people and telling the story about Jesus as the Spirit is moving, let us not be the barrier. Amen? Amen. Father, would you help us? Would you help us? We're your church. We're the bride of Christ. We're the beloved of God. Would you help us experience two conversions? Would you help us see and experience and receive the radical love that you have for us right now? And would you help us 
reveal the radical love that you have for everyone around us this week. We need you, Lord. Would you help us? Would you help us?